to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here across the nation. Glad to have you with me. If you want to join the program today, you're more than welcome to 877-973-7425. You can always text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. Uh, Police are going to update the situation in in, uh, Kentucky after 3 p.m. today, I'll be off air for it, but uh, just keep that in mind. Your local radio station that you're listening to me on probably will carry news about the shooting at the bank in uh, Louisville. More just another troubling, sad story there to start the week. I want to talk about future planning. There's some relevant stories out there today. One of the things, if you pay attention to the Chinese Communist Party, it has wrapped up meetings and it comes out with long range planning. Communists are notorious for doing this. The Soviets did the same thing. They would have a a five year, 10 year, 20 year plan for how society should be developed. And all of society was mobilized towards this planning. So side note here, um, when I was a lawyer, we had a partner at our law firm who was very big into future planning that I should have a one-year, a three-year, a five-year, and a 10-year plan for what my law practice would look like. And, and the purpose was to try to get me focused on how I wanted to grow strategically long-term, that in the next year, I should be working on this core set of skills that would within three years be able to manifest a practice in such way that within five years would be providing me and my partners a stream of income that within 10 years would position me uh, as some dominant force in the area of law I wanted to practice or some such. I never did it, never did it. I didn't think it was realistic, didn't think I was practical. And frankly, my life has been a series of, of either you can say providence or luck, uh, things that have happened that have pushed me in various directions. Uh, and I have uh, been very blessed. I never expected to be in talk radio. Had it not been for a local radio show host getting arrested in a crack house in middle Georgia, I never would have been in talk radio. Had a guy who then came in and, and taken the spot that I was filling in for free on, not then uh, had not been fired or, or I guess pushed out at, at uh, WSB in Atlanta, uh, I would have never even been in contention there when Herman Cain decided to run for president. All these little things along the way fell into place. And it was completely by preface. I do not like to do long-range planning. To some degree, you have to. And now that I'm in radio and, and wanting to grow the show and pick up more stations around the country and stuff, you, every once in a while, you have to stop and plan and say, okay, uh, we have this revenue. What are we going to do with the revenue? We have to plan. There is some responsibility there, but not this whole life plan thing. The, the life plan strikes me as an absurd thing. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The idea that you're going to plan your life so that in 10 years, it's going to be X, Y, or Z strikes me as absurd. I know people who do it. I know people who've been successful at it. I know people who have been deeply fallen into despair and depression because they can't do it. I try to caution my daughter on this. My 17-year-old, God bless her, I love her. She is brilliant. She's a brilliant artist. She's very good at math. She wants to go to Georgia Tech. She wants to be an engineer. She has her life planned out. She wants to be in charge of a division of a company by this. She wants to make this amount of money. She wants to live here. And I'm just like, Evelyn. Let life lead you a little bit. Let God lead you. 
be surprised and delighted. Expect not to meet all of these goals and expect that God's going to put you where he wants you. And I think my wife and I have largely gotten this through to her. She, so my kid, I, I can't, you know, every parent is proud of their child. I am deeply proud of my child's art skills. She has been in 12th grade art since she was in ninth grade. That they, They're trying to figure out how to do an AP art class or an advanced art class at her school, primarily just for her and one other girl because they're such good artists. She, she's been an award-winning artist. And for since she was little, she wanted to go to the Savannah College of Art and Design, SCAD. And now that she's gotten older, she's good in math. She realizes as an artist, she probably couldn't make as much money as if she was an engineer. And also, I'm her dad, and being in an art school with a bunch of raging leftists would probably not be a wise thing. And I get that, but she's a brilliant artist. Now she wants to, my, my mom asked her what she wanted to do with her art skills if she became a rocket engineer, which is what she wants. And she said she would artistically paint middle fingers on the rockets we fire at China. That was her response. God bless her. But I try to tell her, don't do these like 10, 20-year plans. The left loves 10, 20, 30-year plans. They love moving society. One of the things that the left wants to do in society over the next decade, uh, left-wing environmentalists in particular, is something they call rewilding. Rewilding is the idea to allow plots of land to return to their wild state. In Great Britain, it is manifesting itself as they've got to stop rearing sheep and allow Great Britain to rewild. In other words, allow the forest to come back. Now, by the way, if, if you know anything about farming, uh, a lot of times efforts to rewild, you've got to have active land management to make it happen. Otherwise, it's going to be a disaster. But they want to ultimately cull the herds in Great Britain because they believe that they're using too much land and they're producing too much carbon byproduct, in particular methane. Just like in this country, the left is obsessed with cattle farming and pigs. They're producing too much methane, too much gaseous releases. And so in this country as well, they want to rewild and they have plans to limit the available property for development of farmland. And coupled with this is not just rewilding, but the expansion of solar panels. Now, I have concerns about this in particular. So south of me, Georgia Power, uh, our local power provider here in Georgia, big one. They've got some EMCs here, but nonetheless, it's the big one. It is putting in the largest solar panel farm in the southeast United States. It is impressive to behold the number of acres of solar panels that are going to be on this land so that Georgia Power can get renewable energy. It's got a number of um, uh, coal power plants that it's reducing. It wants solar panels. And it's impressive. The size of this is impressive. But I just keep thinking when I look at the land, this used to be pasture land. How many animals or how many fields of corn are no longer there that could be feeding people that we're now going to put solar panels on. The power grid is probably one of the big issues, biggest problematic issues when it comes to these future plans. The left wants solar panels and wind farms, which takes 
off land that could be used for raising food for the United States and the world. And I don't think it's a coincidence. I have said this before. I said it as recently as last week, and it needs to be said again. The obsession with the left when it comes to overpopulation uh, knows no boundaries. And so much of what the left wants to do is to provoke ultimately crisis long-term in this country so that we can't feed ourselves, so that people must be discouraged from having kids and some people starve to death. You see this in Great Britain. It is not an exaggeration to say environmentalists are openly saying that if they can rewild the land, allow the land to be fallow and grow trees and the like, and get rid of sheep production, uh, that there will be less people in Great Britain, that they will naturally have to reduce their population as the availability of, of plentiful cheap food goes away. Now, listen, I know there's someone out there, and it's not just me, also willing to make uh, sex life jokes about cutting back on the number of sheep in Scotland, but I'm not going to go there. I just want you to know I'm not going to touch it. I realize it's readily obvious jokes to make, but we're not going to do it. We are going to say, however, that if you do reduce the number of sheep in Great Britain and you drive up the costs, you can't necessarily say that people are going to stop having kids. Now, already in Great Britain, they're actually in a population decline, much like Europe, Asia, the United States, even in China, they're starting to have population worries. People have decided to focus on themselves and their careers and not have kids. In other words, the situation is sorting itself out and environmentalists want to force it because they have planning desires, they have planning ideas, they have planning goals. And along the way, what do they want? They want you to go back to bugs. They themselves don't wanna go back to bugs. Now, I wanna tie this into something maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I will get blackballed for the rest of my life. I mentioned in the first hour, having gone to the Masters, having seen Augusta National, how impressive it was, how nice everyone was, and how it's notable, given the elite segment of the population that are members at Augusta National, it's amazing that none of them have been involved in the conspiracy theories of the right or the left, the Jeffrey Epstein conspiracy theories, the QAnon conspiracy theories. And my suspicion is these people are deeply afraid that they'll be blackballed and never allowed through the gates again, and they all want to go see the master, so they leave them alone. I just got to tell you, there is a world of very rich people that you and I are not a part of. And I, Augusta National, to a degree, is part of that. You've got the CEOs of the Fortune 500 there. They can afford these things and go through these rituals and, and engage in it. And, and it's gorgeous. If I could be a member of Augusta National, I would. But I'm also more and more aware of the fact that a lot of very wealthy people live such cloistered lifestyles that they don't quite understand the way the rest of the world works. And many of them who grew up in a middle-class environment have forgotten what it was like and now have everyone at their beck and call and they don't have to live in a world like us. And the problem with that is that so many of the people who are engaged in the planning of the way the world should work are people at those upper echelons of society. The Bill Gateses of the world don't really know what it's like to be you or me. Maybe at one point he did, but he's forgotten it. The world revolves around Bill Gates in his world. Everyone wants a portion of Bill Gates's money, 
and they brown nose to him. And Bill Gates is a guy who wants to uh, deal with population control. Bill Gates is a guy who wants to deal with overpopulation. He's a guy who wants to deal with the environment. And his solutions are practical if you're a billionaire who can fly on a private jet, but they're not practical for you and me. And the danger for you and me is that so much of the global elite are now considered the experts, not by virtue of their skill set, but by virtue of their money. And they shape they shape population control policies and they shape global public health policies and others by virtue of their lived experience, which is an experience different from 99.9% of the population. And unless you and I stand up against it, it's going to be implemented because our politicians get money from these people and so are beholden to these people. And you and I actually have a greater power than, than these rich guys. We have the power of a vote. We get a vote and they get a vote and their vote is one and our vote is plenty. And I think one of the reasons we're seeing populist upheavals in the world today is because of that. Take the Netherlands. The Netherlands, the global elite and the policymakers decided the Netherlands needed to call their farming because of, popula- of pollution, because of methane released from cows and the like, and they've begun doing that. And what has the population done in the Netherlands now? They have swung the far-right populist movement into power in the Netherlands as a rebuke to the progressive elite who have been planning. Your vote still matters. You have to use your vote responsibly. Very often, your first preference can't get elected because he can't get the whole vote. But there are other people who agree to degrees with that person who might be able to advance you in the right direction, not as extreme as that person, but still in that direction, if you use your vote wisely. I've got a guy in my substack who constantly complains about the one world order. I get calls to this program about the one world order. I've been hearing about the one world order since I was a kid, and the one world order still has never really fully reared its head because voters don't particularly care for the one world order. Your vote matters. You just have to actually exercise it with reasonable, responsible candidates who don't alienate people so you can build a coalition. And if you do, rewilding will still be a thing the left is continuing to complain about 50 years from now because their inevitable planning that they can't do in a democracy constantly fails. You've just got to stand up and vote. And that's so much more powerful ultimately than the check writers can even imagine. Yes, please. And you can call in 877-973-7425. Paul, you're going to be up next on the Eric Erickson Show. Welcome. Hey, Eric. How are you? Good, how are you? Good. I just call in sort of what you said about how ridiculous the charges of anyone uh, talking about George Soros being anti-Semitic. And I say that because you have to say Soros is anti-Semitic himself to everything that everyone's saying. I don't know if you read the Wall Street Journal article he wrote. Did you read that? Uh, which one? He's written a couple of them. The recent one? He wrote He wrote the one why support reform prosecutors. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how can this be any kind of conspiracy when the man himself admits everything? Yeah, listen, uh, this is it's clearly a left-wing talking point uh, that's out there. For those of you who, who haven't heard this, if you've been on a rock somewhere— if you bring up George Soros at all funding left-wing prosecutors around the country, you're accused of anti-Semitism. 
uh, that talking about George Soros, I mean, he's like Voldemort. You're not allowed to, he who must not be named, or you're accused of anti-Semitism when it comes to Soros. And he's funded so many left-wing groups, and clearly word has gotten out among them. If you bring up George Soros and say he has funded any of these left-wing prosecutorial groups or left-wing prosecutors directly, you're accused of anti-Semitism. Soros, in fact, has funded a number of these groups who then fund left-wing prosecutors, including Alvin Bragg in New York City. Uh, they, what is it? Um, I forget the name of the organization now, uh, but Soros gave them, is it Color of Change? Gave them a million dollars, and then they committed to spend a million dollars to help Alvin Bragg. They wound up only spending 400000 to help him, but they committed, after Soros gave them money, to spend the same amount of money Soros gave them. Not a coincidence. He's done this around the country. He's done it in Philadelphia. He's done it in Los Angeles. He's done it in parts of Georgia. These left-wing prosecutors, they come in, they get elected, they outspend the rivals who are caught flat-footed. Uh, there's got to be a conservative response, and I suspect conservative donors are going to stand up. The crime wave that's out there will help, I suspect, make the case for more conservative law enforcement types uh, getting elected. But yes, it is an absolute fact George Soros planned and funded these left-wing prosecutors to help them get elected who campaigned on being soft on crime, rethinking how we prosecute crime, allowing people out of prison, not seeking bail. And it has and to, it has provoked a crime wave. But Soros is one of those people like I've been talking about. He lives at such an elite level. George Soros is never going to be bothered by the drug addict who's breaking into your house at night who should be in jail. He's never going to be bothered by this stuff. You have to deal with the societal fallout that Soros has sponsored. And then when you point it out, be called an anti-Semite for pointing it out. Something happened at the end of last week. And this gets to my point at the beginning of the program today, where the political press in the country has played a role in the escalation of partisan drama in the country. Republicans know they're never going to get any sort of credit for doing something, so they might as well lock down and play to their base, even to the extremes of the base, because why bother doing anything else? I mean, the media is going to attack them. Even the Biden administration knows this. I want to play for you a clip from ABC News, one of their White House reporters. The White House now concedes that they should have acted sooner, but this long-awaited report does not explicitly say that mistakes were made. And when I've asked repeatedly, the White House won't say if the president has any regrets now, just that lessons were learned. And they are putting much of the blame for this withdrawal on the Trump administration. Yes, talking about Afghanistan. The Biden administration is blaming the Trump administration for Biden's withdrawal from Afghanistan, which Joe Biden said was a responsible, good withdrawal. He has no complaints or criticisms of the withdrawal. He thought it was flawless, his words, flawless. But now they're blaming the Trump administration. They know they can get away with it because they know the press corps will go out of their way to blame the Trump administration. This happens time and time again where it is the right that gets blamed and the left um, that gets the credit or the left that gets to be the victim because of right-wing bullies. It, it is predictable every time it happens. It just, I'm, I'm kind of used to, at this point, the media being in the tank for the left. But the way the American press corps, after those children were murdered in Nashville, Tennessee, 
turned this on its head that it was the Christian community that was shot up was somehow to blame uh, was just stomach churning, and it continues to be. Now, I I, I wanted to actually, and, and I'll get there for a minute, but I got to just tell you, I have been, uh, I've seen a couple of comments on Twitter, but then I've got about a dozen emails from the last half hour. And what is crazy to me is how fired up people are about solar panels. And I want to make this real clear to you. If I had a, if I had a home that did not have the trees around it that I do, I would be one of those people who put solar panels on my house uh, in part because, well, I also want to get a generator for my house to keep the power going when the power goes out. But I, I don't have a problem per se with solar panels. If you want to put them on your roof, go for it. And if you've got land that is unproductive land, but you might put some solar panels on them, go for it. But I just see the problem that uh, let's just talk about the Southeast United States. Um, Power companies are under extraordinary pressure from regulatory entities to increase their renewable energy supply. Buying some farmland from struggling farmers and putting solar panels on the farmland is kind of a no-brainer when you've got to deal with the regulators who are demanding you do it. What the regulators don't seem to care about, what they don't see, what they don't pay attention to, though, is what's actually happening. What was that land being used for? Cows? Pigs? Chickens? Sheep? Corn? Peanuts? Food? You put solar panels on the farmland, you're not growing crops underneath the solar panels. You're probably not even letting the cows graze. So you've taken productive farmland out of commission to put solar panels on. And the crazy thing here is like, I'm in the Southeast United States where I'm broadcasting from. The weather in the past week has been atrocious. Today, it is partly, it's overcast slightly, but I, the solar panels will work. But yes, the day before yesterday, the day before that, the day before that, the day before that, there's no way those solar panels were producing any sort of energy. Meanwhile, if you had a, if you had corn on it, the corn would be growing. We're making trade-offs that regulators are demanding we make for power companies to stay in good graces. We're not building nuclear panels, although Georgia Power, which is putting the solar panels out, they're also building nuclear power, and they're starting to have active reactors, which is great. They're finally producing power. But around the country, they're kind of anomalous when it comes to nuclear power. We are jeopardizing our future ability to generate food in order to generate renewable energy that doesn't actually handle baseload power. So what's baseload power? You hear this term a lot, baseload power. So baseload power is the power that you can flip a switch and get that power. A nuclear reactor, a coal-burning power plant, a hydroelectric dam, you can get power 24-7, 365, uh, barring some circumstances, and that is your base-level power that you can always have. Your wind power doesn't work when the wind's not blowing. Your solar power doesn't work when the sun's not shining. So for about 12 hours a day, you're not getting solar power because it's not getting the power off of the moon reflected back to it and converting that. It's just not working. 
Your solar power's not working. Your wind power's not working when the wind's not blowing. Uh, I'm looking outside my window right now. There is a flag. About an hour ago, the flag was blowing pretty steadily. Now it's perfectly still and down. There's no wind blowing. Therefore, a windmill wouldn't turn. Therefore, it's not producing power. This obsession with renewables from solar and wind and offloading uh, baseload power to renewables, we saw what happened in Texas. We've seen California. This is not an acceptable long-term solution in this country. Uh, let me shift gears and, and go back to this story uh, that was in the New York Times about the Bitcoin manufacturing. Let me read you one of these statistics. Um, they uh, There are 34... Bitcoin mine operations that the New York Times has identified using at least 30,000 times as much power as the average U.S. home. 34 operations. They're in Washington State, Montana, three in North Dakota, one in Nebraska, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in Texas, one, two, three, four in Georgia, one in North Carolina, one in Tennessee, one in South Carolina, one in Kentucky, one in Indiana, one in Illinois, two in Ohio, two in Pennsylvania, three in or four in New York. Let me put this in perspective. They use the same amount of electricity. These 34 bit mine operations use the same electricity as the three million households that surround them. That is a heck of a lot of power. In Texas, they had to shut down during the cold snap that were, took out all the power in 2021. And these, <coughs> excuse me, Bitcoin mines got paid $18 million to keep their power turned off by the power company. Part of that power outage came because in Texas, they didn't expand baseload power. They just expanded renewables, particularly subsidized renewables, solar and wind. Had a bunch of billionaires with a bunch of land who wanted wind power because it was subsidized. They put the wind power on. When that cold snap came through, a lot of those windmills froze. They didn't use windmills that had built-in heaters for when it was super cold. They froze and they couldn't spin. And then also, the wind wasn't blowing in some parts of Texas. And it caused a massive power outage. We're going to see more of this around the country if we can't wrap our minds around particularly expanding nuclear power. It's, it's absurd. By the way, there's another problem coming in this country. You know what happened when people left the office in 2020 in lockdown? They realized they could work from home and be as productive in some cases. We have an economic calamity heading our way, not just a power grid calamity. A $1.5 trillion wall of debt. This is from Bloomberg News. About $1.5 trillion of U.S. commercial real estate debt comes due for repayment before the end of 2025. The big question facing those borrowers is who's going to lend to them. Refinancing risks are front and center for owners of properties from office buildings to stores and warehouses. Morgan Stanley analysts, including James Egan, wrote in a note this past week. The maturity wall here is front-loaded, so are the associated risks. The investment bank estimates office and retail property valuations could fall as much as 40%. Adding to the headache, small and regional banks, the biggest source of credit to the industry last year, have been rocked by deposit outflows after the demise of Silicon Valley Bank, raising concerns. The wall of debt is set to get worse before it gets better. 
maturities climb for the coming four years, peaking at $550 billion in 2027. Banks also own more than half of the agency commercial mortgage-backed securities, bonds supported by property loans and issued by the U.S. government-sponsored entities like Fannie Mae. Now, what does all this mean? Well, here's a problem. A lot of people left the office and never went back. You don't hear a lot about WeWork anymore, do you, or, or some of the other groups out there. There are still those shared office spaces in the country, but a lot of people took up residence at the local coffee shop or out of their house. They got better Wi-Fi. They got better, faster Internet. They're not going back to offices. So there are a whole lot of offices in this country that are largely empty right now because the workers decided not to go back to work and the businesses decided to let them do it. So they're downsizing. Businesses are moving out of big high-rises to smaller facilities, allowing people to work remotely, which begs the question of what do you do with the empty office space? And how do you pay the rent? And how do you pay the mortgage? How do you generate revenue? And a lot of these companies can't think in a grand enough scale how to undo the damage of remote work. So uh, there are companies out there that are making workers come back. Apple has their big office park, and they're making workers come back at least three days a week. you got to work on site now. Uh, Google, however, is winding down expansion in places, including, I think, Atlanta, Georgia, where it was building a facility, in part because of the economic downturn. They've started laying people off, but also they're struggling to get their employees to come back to work. Maybe that'll help with the power grid situation, except you drive through these places at night and you see all the empty office space all lit up as if saying, hey, rent me, rent me. But who wants to rent it? You got power problems. You got banking problems. You got economic problems. And this presidential administration just doesn't seem to get it. They don't seem to understand the financial problems that we have coming, the financial headwinds we have coming. They don't seem to understand the problems we are getting in this country with the power grid and the swapping of farmland for power land, let alone hackers coming in and and disrupting the power grid altogether. I mean, you're going to have hackers come into this country through back doors. We're already having people shooting up. Uh, transformers, power transformers in the country trying to mess with the power grid. We have lots of problems, and the administration seems solely to decide, can I make it about Trump? Can I blame Donald Trump? Can I do something that puts Donald Trump in a bad light? Forget dealing with the problems. Can I make it about Trump? That's not real leadership. And at this time in this country, we need real leadership. There's a level of despair and anxiety among Republicans right now over Ron DeSantis and other Republicans moving forward. In fact, let me play you this audio from Josh Krashauer real quick. The person who pulls a distant second to him right now, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and we heard a little bit more about his strategy this week. Strategy. NBC News reporting this, uh, that his team is already plotting at a strategy to run against Donald Trump for the long haul. The plan focuses less on making a quick splash in places like Iowa or New Hampshire, and more on outlasting the former president in a battle for Republican convention delegates. Josh, any chance this comes down to a convention decision? Look, whenever a campaign is talking about skipping the early states and focusing <laughs> on the delegate math, usually means they're running a losing campaign. I mean, this is very early. Ron DeSantis hasn't even announced. But yeah, We can stop there. This isn't the DeSantis plan. This is what NBC reported as the DeSantis plan. 
it's not actually true, but everyone's embracing it because NBC reported it, even though the sourcing isn't there. They don't have any sources with the DeSantis camp. But we got to have some leadership in the country, and I suspect that there's there's this despondency among Republicans after the last couple of elections, uh, even the ones in the last couple of weeks in in Wisconsin and in Chicago that oh we're abortion we're 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 not going to win we're not going to be able to change people's minds we got all these crazy people leadership matters at the end of the day. The Biden administration has shown no level of leadership. If you have a Republican candidate not named Donald Trump who people get a fresh look at and that person shows even a hint of leadership, I think you're going to see independent voters and even probably some Democrats swing in their direction. They may not like everything they get from the person, but this country needs and demands real leadership right now, not just the blame shifting that they're getting from someone like Joe Biden on all of these problems, economic power, food supply, all of that. Biden just wants to blame Trump. If we start afresh, begin again anew with someone not named Biden or Trump, maybe the voters will actually react in a positive way towards that person. Just maybe. Might as well try it. Nothing else seems to work. Something that does work is the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. You can get three of them for less than $200 at EdenPureDeals.com. All you do is go to EdenPureDeals.com. You'll see on the front page a discount code box. You put in my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K. You can get $200, all, or you save, rather, $200, and you get them for less than $200, and you get free shipping. You get the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, which wipes out odors. You got a bad odor in your house, it'll eliminate it. Smoke odors, litter box odors, pet odors, cooking odors, you name it. Musty odors in a hotel room, smoke odors, someone smoking in the rental car. Fire it up with a USB cord or plug it directly into the wall. It wipes out the odors. I've got one I travel with all the time. EdenPureDeals.com is the website. The discount code is just ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. You'll get three of them, one for upstairs, one for downstairs, your RV, your basement, wherever you need it, your travel bag like I do. EdenPureDeals.com, the discount code is ERIC. Get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms. Wipe out nasty odors wherever you are. Hi there, it is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, well, too late. We're at the end of the show. Don't have enough time, but you can call tomorrow, 877-973-7425. Riley Gaines is going to try to join me this week. She was, interestingly enough, going to join me the other day, and she had all sorts of uh, travel issues, weather-related, getting to a speech at San Francisco State University. And while there, was held hostage by transgender activists. Riley Gaines is the swimmer, uh, NCAA, University of Kentucky swimmer. And she is now a uh, spokeswoman with the Independent Women's Forum against transgender athletes. I played you the clip the other day where she was, uh, she confronted a progressive anthropologist who could not answer the question if uh, anthropologists or archaeologists dig up a skeletal remains 100 years from now. Can they identify it as male or female? And the anthropologist said no, and that's not true. You actually can identify skeletal remains um, as male or female. Riley Gaines pointed that out, and the woke anthropologist, who turns out not to actually be a fueled anthropologist, a theoretical queer theory feminist anthropologist, whatever that is, uh, couldn't get it right, and trans activists are harassing her, held her hostage in University of San Francisco. She's threatening a lawsuit uh, against them, as she should. You know, in Colorado, a trans activist with a communist manifesto, literal communist manifesto, 
was arrested, thankfully, before shooting up a school. We still don't have the manifesto of the shooter in Nashville. What are they protecting this shooter from? Does make you wonder. The world seems to be coming unglued. Y'all, just a word here at the end. The world really does seem like it's coming unglued. It seems like everybody's losing their mind. Even people on your own side seem to be unhinged these days and angry. There are things to be angry about, but overall, you know, we're still in the best country. And however much we have problems, everybody else has even bigger problems. But ultimately, I mean, I'll tell you, I still think God's in control of things. I think he's real. He's got a plan. And if you're part of it, you really don't have to worry. In fact, worrying's a sin. So maybe we all do need to calm down and try to look at things less emotionally. There's way too much emotional sentiment these days, and it's clouding actual reason.